Hi, today is January 16th. Welcome to the Theta Game Podcast, the official podcast of ThetaGame.com. I'm your host, Junie, and thanks for tuning in. These are only my opinions, and anything said in this podcast or future podcast should not be considered financial advice. I have stock positions in PayPal. Thank you. Just as a reminder, though it's kind of late, we have the Monday off, uh, at least as the stock market goes, for MLK Day. So be sure to hang out with family, friends, take a breather, relax. I know that the market's been kind (laughs) of in a downward spiral, (laughs) if we want to use hyperboles. Um, But you deserve a break. Uh, Find time to do what you love to do. Do that, and then uh, hit the ground running on Tuesday. If I'm catching you later in the week, I hope that we're up. Uh, though I do see that U.S. futures are down. Fun fact, I didn't know that futures were actually open, uh, even though the stock market for the U.S. was closed, because for all intents and purposes, all the other stock markets are open. Other markets do not celebrate MLK Day, uh, though the U.S. stock market does. And that's just a fun fact I learned this weekend. So uh, shout out to uh, the U.S. stock market. And because I want to start making the podcast more tailored to the everyday listener, um and you know kind of go with the flow i thought i'd start bringing back emails into the podcast Uh, i want to read this email from rob that reads hi junie my name is rob i'm a longtime listener of the theta game podcast love the theta game podcast website and community you've built i'm emailing you to get your thoughts and experience with tastyworks as a broker which i know you use and recommend uh versus td ameritrade or thinkorswim Tastyworks seems to get a bad rap from users on Reddit and our Theta Gang and our options for being very buggy, bad fills, bad customer service, etc., even with the capped commissions. I have margin accounts with both, and I'm debating which broker to use to deploy a starting portfolio of 100 k for primary Theta Gang strategies. Thanks. Okay, uh, and just before I answer this question... You know, just as a reminder, I'm sure everyone knows this by now, just because I say it in every single episode. I have a Tastyworks referral code. Uh, I have a very custom deal with Tastyworks because I've chosen them to be like my promotional brokerage whenever I, you know, I bring something up. Uh, I have a promotional referral code, ThetaGang in all caps, one word. Um, And if you use it, it helps support the website podcast, blah, blah, blah. I thought I'd just say that... uh, in the middle of the episode for those that have never heard me say that that's just because i say that at the very end when where i save all my boring outro stuff um but i do have a referral code theta gang one word all caps and i have uh, a partnership with tastyworks so i do have a bias but i will never like perpetuate my bias to where i would have that like be a factor in your choice i will answer this question as neutral as possible and i think you'll get the vibe for that too as i'm gonna be really critical of tastyworks but also critical of other brokerages as well so just wanted to bring that up and uh yeah let's get into it so the things that i do like about tastyworks the two main things that i like about tastyworks is one the customer service customer service talks to you like you're a human being you're not gonna get like a telebot or anything and you're not gonna get like automated responses from the customer service team. The customer service team will like handhold you through, you know, difficult scenarios. If you don't understand what a margin call is, or, you know, if you need a specific example with your specific stocks that you have, like they go and do the math for you. In some of the cases, at least the cases that I've been helped with back when I was like earlier in learning options, Tastyworks has always been there from the customer service level and just making sure that I always felt safe which is why I have justified like the dollar commission where I make like maybe 200 to $300 or 200 to 300 trades over the year. And that equates to like $300 a year to use like Tastyworks or something, right? Whereas like you go to a, bro- a commission-free brokerage like Robinhood or Rebull where you don't pay a single dollar to make a trade. And if you're a high volume trader, it can make a lot of sense to be on those types of apps because, you know, $300 to like a college student is a lot. $300 to someone that's full-time working, that has a nice job, that has a hobby that, you know, can help you afford these things, not so much. So what I look for in a brokerage is I make sure that I feel safe, that I feel okay. And whenever I have something that's troubling me, I know there's, there's a human being that I can call and connect with to make sure that I'll be okay. Right, and that sounds kind of weird. It's like, Junie, you should always feel like you're good. You should have someone to talk to when your account is compromised, or you feel like you're in a bad, stuck in a bad spot. But you'd be surprised. There, there was a time 
when Robinhood didn't even have customer service, right? But now they do. And so while I used to be able to say, hey, at least Tastyworks has a customer service team uh, and Robinhood doesn't. But now Robinhood does, so I'll have to like make a better case for Tastyworks going forward because I've just understood that Tastyworks has a really good customer service team. I don't know what the quality of customer service is like on the broker, or the, I keep saying broker, the commission-free brokerages like Webull or Robinhood, but let's just be on the safe side and just say they're awesome too. Now moving on to the second point, what I really like about Tastyworks is that it feels very options first, right? Like all these other brokerages like Schwab or IB, uh, IB like international brokerage or whatever that one is or TDA, it feels like they did stocks first. Tastyworks very much feels like it was an options first platform and then they added stocks on top, which makes it feel clunky at times. But Tastyworks from an options standpoint, and if you are only dealing with options, feels very, very solid, right? I've downloaded TD Ameritrade before. I've used it for like a month. I've also used Robinhood very extensively. I've used Webull for maybe like a week as well. Um, and I've never had IB um, and I've never had uh, Schwab, though I've heard horror stories of what their UI looks like. So I'll let that kind of speak for itself. But when I'm inside Tastyworks, when I'm navigating through the options ladder, uh, when I'm setting my triggers, when I'm seeing my account as a whole, I really feel like that it's tailored for someone that manages options and almost options exclusively. Maybe there's some long stock in there for your assignments and stuff, but that's okay. It's not really much the brokerage where you want to like hold lots of long positions and kind of manage your portfolio based and divvied up by like um, percentages and stuff. Like you don't want to like manage a huge long stock portfolio in Tastyworks. That's not my, that wouldn't be my first go-to brokerage to do that. But if you wanted to say manage like um, a lot of short contracts, a lot of like, uh, you know, puts that you're selling so you can get a sign on stock and, uh, and cover calls and sending up triggers. Like all of that is very tailored for the options trader for Tastyworks. If you have like a mix of like say long stock and, um, and short positions or just like options in general, I think TDA just might be like a smidge better because I think I I think their UI is really solid. I like TD Ameritrade's or Thinkorswim's UI because it looks very sleek. It looks very minimalistic. It's very customizable as well. And it's very like developer focused, like bonus points for if you're a developer and you get to build your own like little plugins and stuff. Um, but alas, I don't need to do any of that stuff. Um, I have a very simple system where I talk about this podcast all the time it's very very simple it's so simple that sometimes even people get just mad about it they're like oh junior you're just getting lucky you're you're not using this indicator you're not using this indicator oh my gosh i can't believe you're not using this indicator i'm really really simple and tastyworks is really really simple right like twi tastyworks twisty tastyworks doesn't go out of their way to add all of these like useless features um for you to like click on tastyworks is very options first if your portfolio, like you're saying, Rob, is exclusively for Theta Gang strategies, then I think Tastyworks is fine. If you think there's an option, <laughs> no pun intended, if you think there's an option for like your portfolio to start holding lots of long positions, like maybe you say like, you know, I'm gonna build my home base within this new account. Like I'm gonna buy lots of stock that I'm not gonna even sell cover calls on. I'm gonna start my long portfolio in this portfolio. Then, maybe TD Ameritrade is a little bit better. However, if you're really about just making sure that you're like filtering through contracts and cycling out of contracts, like in and out, in and out, in and out very consistently, and that you're maybe holding on to long, long stock for like maybe like a month maximum, then I think Tastyworks uh, is the best place, place to go. You mentioned that Tastyworks gets a bad rap from users for being buggy. I've never had a bug with Tastyworks, I think like ever. Um, I don't know where people are getting that. Uh, the bad fills point is very, very funny. So bad fills is usually, and I mean very, very rarely on the broker, right? Bad fills comes from people that don't know how to trade stocks or options and they're trying to sell an option that has uh, 
uh, I don't know, like like one open interest, right? And of course you're gonna get a bad feel because no one else is interested in the contract, right? Like people aren't aware of volume a lot of the time. People will say, oh, I'm getting bad feels on this penny stock that no one else is looking at in the world except me and this other person that's asleep right now in a different time zone, right? So it, it you have to be very, very careful when listening to this type of feedback. If the other, if the person said like, hey, I'm getting bad feels on SPY, then you have to kind of question like, okay, why in the world would there be, why would someone be getting bad feels on SPY? SPY is very heavily traded. Seems like a very easy problem to notice and seems like a very easy problem to say solve, right? Like if it's a problem with filling with SPY and it's on the broker, the broker will know about it because there's gonna be millions of complaints, right? But there's not. There just seems to be this one person that's having a problem with a high volume contract or a high volume ticker like SPY. That's kind of suspicious. But then if they go out and say, oh, I'm having bad fills on this penny stock that no one else is looking at, well, of course you're gonna have bad fills because no one else is interested in it. So you get uh, messed up with the slippage, right? So it, this, this all just comes also from experience too of just like hearing what people complain about with brokerages and uh, just reading lots of just like, I don't know, FinTech stuff. These are problems that everyday users face, but sometimes there's like one more layer that they are not seeing, just like the open interest slash volume point that I mentioned with bad fills. The bad customer service point with Tasteworks is not true. Like that is a straight up lie. Like I feel like I'm very neutral when it comes to Tasteworks, right? Like I am saying, hey, if you wanna go long stock and you wanna do options on the side, I think TD Ameritrade or Thinkorswim is great. I even think Robinhood is better if you're a college student and you just really can't afford that extra dollar. Like, and maybe that helps your mindset and trading better if you don't have to worry about commissions, right? Because a lot of trading is a mindset. I will bend the knee to make sure that you feel that I'm not shoving Tastyworks down your throat. But saying that Tastyworks has bad customer service is a straight up lie. Like I've had the most amazing customer service and everyone in my Discord has had amazing customer service. I tell everyone like, if you have a bad customer service, you got the time, like you gotta let me know because this is the number one thing that I have always had Tasteworks back on is their customer service they will go to the ends of the earth to make sure you feel comfortable. And that's why I've always felt like my dollar commission was worth it, right? Like why else would I be here if I didn't feel like the dollar commission was worth it or that this company was actually just like options first? Like this is the broker that I think you should be on if you're exclusively trading options. In any other case, you're doing a hybrid approach or you're doing a long stock approach. I think TD Ameritrade beats it very slightly um, but however, because of my relationship that I've had with the CEO and just like how Tastyworks was like the only company that gave me a shot when I was just starting out, like, hey, and they have awesome customer service, I'm all set, I'm down, let's do it. But um, I hope that answers some of your questions. Like the buggy thing, I don't think that's very true. They have regular um, patches as well, so maybe that person had a had one specific bug but i'm sure it was patched the next update because there's like an update for tastyworks like probably once every two weeks um the bad fills thing is usually just um someone that doesn't doesn't know any better and the bad customer service is a lie right so just be careful with what you read about other people's experiences it's almost kind of like the yelp effect where you know, people will only write bad things. It's very rare that someone goes out of their way to write positive things, um, especially if, if the thread is like, who else has had trouble with this, right? And then you're only going to see like a pool of people that has problems with it, but rather like if the thread was, who else has had a positive experience with this, then people with positive experience would go in. However, just like I stated, like it's, it's more rare for someone to go out of their way to say who else has had a positive experience rather than negative but anyway don't want to bore you with the whole with the whole ramble of just what tasteworks is like and td emergency is like definitely do what you feel comfortable with they both are free by the way you can definitely just like use one for like a week and the other one for a week and see which one you feel more comfortable navigating around um you can see maybe some of my past streams just to see how i've set up my tastyworks account and what my terminal looks like um, or, you know, yeah, I honestly, I think downloading both is probably the best option. I think they both have, 
um, ways of just opening the terminal with an account. You don't need to even have money in there, but you can just like kind of click around to see uh, which one you're more comfortable with. I hope that answered your question, Rob. Thank you for um, uh, writing in and I uh, hope you uh, choose wisely and uh, you know, let us know. Okay, next up, we have a email from Thomas. It says, Hey, Junie, I'm a young Gen Xer who follows the podcast and uses Thetagain to track my options trade. My screen name is Beep. I'm not going to put on blast. Uh, first, thanks for all the work you put into the Cyan podcast. I have been passively investing in the stock market for 20 years. Hey, that's a long time. Uh, but only started selling options last year. Between you and the Tasty Trade people, I've learned a ton. I follow the tasty trade method and roll my trades month to month if I can get a credit and need more time for the trade to work out. Is there a way to implement rolling on ThetaGang? I know you're not a fan of it, so it may not be in the roadmap for your site. For the time being, I am just closing out and opening up new trades with the exp new expiration dates. However, this is making my winning percentage and profit loss on the site look artificially bad, at least in the short term. Not a huge deal, but it would be nice to be able to keep a trade going and show the total credit collected, like the chains feature on Tastyworks. It would also be really cool to make uh, to adjust strikes in a trade, like rolling strikes up and down in a strangle and selling out part of the trade, like taking off a call spread in a Jade Lizard or Iron Condor. Finally, are you planning to open up any more of the lower tier patron slots? I probably can't slip an $80, $100 a month new sub past my wife but could do 20. Thanks again, Thomas. All right, thank you Thomas for writing in. Uh, I think the first thing I should address is um, the rolling thing, right? So rolling a trade, all that is, is saying that basically you lost, so you're gonna close the trade, and you're gonna open a new trade where you net a credit, meaning you're going to open a trade that gives you so much more credit than the last one that it negates your past loss in favor of gaining just a little bit more potential gain in exchange for more risk, right? You you are putting yourself up to lose more by rolling. However, you're also keeping yourself in the clear to have a win, no matter how small, right? Um, that is all already implemented in the website, right? So while it's not called rolling on the website, you are able to uh, accept the loss, close out the trade for a loss, and then open the new trade for more credit. This is true. The problem here, uh, and it's a like very quote problem, is that it makes your winning percentage and profit loss on the site look artificially bad. But really, look at it this way. If your first trade went well, it's a win, right? If your first trade went well, you wouldn't need to roll it, therefore it's a win. If you do need to roll it, that trade lost. If we start taking the website into a area where you start having to look at five trades to dictate whether or not you won, it makes navigating and looking at the website very confusing. Because what I like about the thetagang.com website is you look at someone's profile, you look at a trade, and you can see, hey, did this person win or lose? There's no bad thing that necessarily happens if you lose the trade. People often click on losing trades more often than winning trades, actually, because most of the internet only uploads the winners. So there's not much to learn from from those, unless if you know that the person's being very honest, right? But it's the losers that get clicked on the most because people feel like they can learn the most from those. It's like what not to do or what can you do better? Like the notes are just better on the losing trades from what I've seen in my history of just owning and building a website, right? And it's getting over the hump of this winning percentage. Like back then, there wasn't even a win percentage for um, thetagang.com. There wasn't a win percentage. There wasn't um, uh, there wasn't a win percentage. Yeah, it didn't track your wins and losses. It was just like, hey, did you make money on this trade or not? But now that these stats have been implemented, it's giving some people like performance anxiety. It's like some people think that like if someone looks at their profile and the number is negative, that people think they're bad. 
And while what other people think, it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter. And this should be like the smallest exercise in the world to get you to focus on like, who cares if you're down or look artificially bad, right? Like some of you might say, hey Junie, just let us roll multiple trades so that our profit, lo profit loss looks better. But then I'm on the other flip side saying like, what's so wrong about having a, a, a negative P&L or a negative winning percentage if that's still accurate, right? It's not wrong to say that you lost multiple times when you roll a trade multiple times because that's you closing the trade for a loss in exchange of opening a new trade that could potentially win for a net gain on the two trades, but you still lost, right? I don't think you're bad. The other users on the website don't think you're bad, but you lost. That's probably the biggest feature that is debated on the website uh, still to this day, right? People don't like the fact that it looks like you lose when you close a cover call for a loss and then you sold your net stock for a gain. But if people are following closely enough, people can track that anyway. People will know that you've made a profit on your stock. But people will say, oh, Junie, my covered call that I closed for a massive red should be counted as a win because I sold my long stock for a gain. But then I'm like, no, you lost on the covered call. You chose the wrong strike and the wrong date. You lost money on the covered call, but you won on the long stock, right? It makes sense. People have this like fixation on wanting to look green, wanting to look good. And I think that the website is just the very first step into making sure or making people feel safe when they lose. I want the website to be a safe place to lose, a safe place to learn. And for those that could potentially be listening to this as their first episode, the 80gang.com is basically uh, Twitter married with stock tweets, married with, um, I don't know, some sort of like trade journal type of app, right? Where you show your trades, you upload your trades, um, and it kind of tracks some things for you, some cool statistics and stuff. Um, but it really does act as a like trade journal. And if you can't be honest in your trade journal, well, I don't know where else you're gonna be honest. Maybe where you're honest is the Excel sheet that you keep that no one else has access to, right? Um, and maybe that's the platform for you. If you feel like you want to show that you win all the time, do it in the place where you can edit and where you can make sure that you win all the time. For those that are on thetygame.com, I think we all kind of appreciate that we can just look at a profile, look at a trade, and did you win? Or did you lose? Did you le learn anything when you lost? Great. And then we're done. It's not, okay, I gotta look at these three trades. Okay, they won because they did these three trades, they exited out these two, and then they added this one, and yeah, they barely made it by, yeah, they won on this one. That's a lot of mental gymnastics that gotta go through um, to you know come up with someone uh, winning or not. It's really, really important that, you know, as we, and I say we as in just like <laughs> humanity, as as people build more and more fintech apps, right? There's gonna be people that clone datagame.com, there's gonna be people that clone um, other finance platforms and stuff. It's just up to you to like kind of stick with your mission. My mission for datagame.com is to really make sure that people are as transparent as they can be. And a part of that is just realizing the losses that you do take and then if you win in the end great have that last trade that you uploaded be a winner but show that you lost before um i think that's what separates me from just about like every other trade logging platform out there because data gang is obviously not the only trade logging app i'm sure that there are a whole lot of other uh, applications but it's this mission that i think keeps me passionate enough to keep the project going because as long as people are able to edit their trades and always make themselves look nice on other trading platforms, I see a space for thetagame.com to grow where you can't edit your trades um, and you can't delete your trades. It's just really a place for you to like really just own up to your, your work, your thesis, your system, the, the way that you present yourself 
on just like any other fintech app is like you want to make sure that other people know that you're honest, that you trade with the system, and that you actually stick to your word, right? That's what at least what I look for. Okay, and to just like kind of roll it back, uh, the final question um, was, are you planning to open up any more of the lower tier patron slots? Uh, can't currently slip $80, uh, $200 a month uh, past my wife, but could probably do 20 The lower Patreon spots are all sold out. Uh, I just checked right now. They're all sold out. Um, and they will stay sold out up until someone leaves. What I say is like, if you can't afford the higher tiers, like do not sign up for the higher tiers, right? It's just there for the people that can afford it that want to just get in. I don't want the platform to grow so fast. Sorry, I'm burping. I don't want the platform to grow so fast where I lose the culture of what I started, right? Like I don't want to open up like, 20 of the $20 spots um, and then have like all these people saying, oh, GME to the moon, oh, hold on, apes, AMC is gonna rise or all this. I don't want a whole bunch of those people in my Discord, right? I want to keep the wholesome community that we have right now because it's awesome, right? Like we we have like PG rated jokes. We we make, we have fun without sending derogatory stuff. Like that's, so hard to find on the internet and it's it's like right now you're you're probably listening to this in the car and you're like wow juni or your discord just sounds like people just saying jokes all the time it doesn't even sound like finance it's like we have a perfect blend of people that try really hard on one side and we have other people on one side that just make jokes all day but then there's like this beautiful mesh of just like days where the super serious people join in on the jokes and the, the jokester people get serious and we have lots of just like laughs on red days and on green days we're, we're we're pretty humble i try to keep it humble right like it's it's different and i don't want to just go out there and just ruin it by like this like greed it's like oh i could capture like 400 dollars more a month if i let x more amount of people in like i don't want that um so that's why the, the Patreon tiers kind of go up so dramatically. It's like it's like 20 and then it's like $10, $10, $10, and it goes up $20, $20. Yeah, up to 100 bucks a month. It's like, it's just something that gates, I guess, people going in. I don't want a whole bunch of people um, to come in unless if it really benefits the website and podcast. Like one $100 a month subscription probably keeps the website and podcast alive for three months probably like three three two and a half to three months and it's just perfect it's like hey if you have the money then come on in like right away if you don't there is still a chance that someone in the lower tiers um decides to not be in it anymore for example we've had a 20 dollars tier open up uh last month and two 40 dollars tiers open up this month as well as a 30 dollars tier opening up this month too so like welcome to the new ones that swooped on those spots that those spots are pretty valuable <laughs> i think um but yeah welcome and uh yeah so if you're a college student don't don't be in a rush to join just cruise on to patreon.com gang like i don't know once every week and if you get lucky there might be a spot open for you in the lower tiers and you just swoop on that but Anyway, you're not missing out on much. I just like keeping the community small because we're wholesome and I like keeping it that way. Um, and yeah. <laughs> you know, I was gonna actually make this episode just about being more comfortable about losing, but I really, really think that email earlier kind of hammered it home uh, for me and gave me a good spot to talk about it. Cause, and I guess I'll just talk about it a little bit more here just to solidify it. Being comfortable with losing is like one thing, but there's one more level to it. It's like you start to really, really grow in your hobby, not just like in your hobby, but like in life, when you start becoming more comfortable with losing in front of people, right? So we have a society that makes us think like, okay, you always gotta win. You always gotta work hard to make sure you practice so that you can win. It's not about that, right? Life, you're, you always hear on the other side too, is like, oh, you're always learning right? The best places for me to learn have always been in front of people losing, right? I don't go into a jujitsu match, whoop the other person's butt and come out of there and saying like, oh, I learned a lot. I learned that I could kick some butt. 
right? That, that's not very productive. But when I go out there and I get super nervous maybe on my first match and then they get top control and then they pin me down for a few miles seconds and then I eventually get tapped by an arm bar or something, then I realize, oh man, I gotta really work on my guard retention. I gotta go home, look at the study of the tapes. As my girlfriend likes to joke around, watch the tapes playa. <laughs> like she never talks like that, but she talks about it. She says that one time, I never let that go. But then, uh, yeah, it's when you lose is when you learn the most. And it's in front of people, right? Like, imagine if I was so scared of receiving feedback or receiving um, just like looks from other people because I lost, I would never have gone to a competition. If you want to really, really be dramatic about this, we can almost think about theatergame.com as a jujitsu competition, right? If you're always too scared to lose, you might never upload a trade, right? You upload a trade uh, one day and you're like, oh man, this trade's not going well. Oh man, what if I have to record this loss and everyone on the website's gonna think I'm bad? Oh no, oh, what, what, what am I gonna do? I'm just, gonna, I'm just not gonna upload one. If you start thinking like that, then yeah, you might never <laughs> get good, <laughs> as, as gamers would call it. But once you get over that fear of not caring what other people think, but you rather just care about your own personal growth, then yeah, it's gonna become a lot easier to just say like, uh, open that trade on datagame.com or just go into that competition and they get submitted, right? Like it's the same thing, <laughs> kind of. One, one, one is potentially breaking your arm, the other is just breaking your ego on the internet. But <laughs> you get what I mean, right? Like you need to not care about what other people think. And some of you just, it would just be harder for some of you than other people, but if you start realizing like, hey, um, I'm opening these trades to theragain.com and uh, you know, the fact that other people are watching it uh, is giving me motivation to uh, you know, keep up with my logs, uh, write good notes, uh, own up to my winners, but also own up to my losers. It's a really, really good feedback loop, right? Like if you're not consistently doing this, um, it's easy to just start, you know, chalking up your losers to like, oh, market manipulators, profit takers, and all this uh, other mumbo jumbo. And then maybe you get on a hot winning streak and you start chancing it to like, oh, you know, it's all skill because I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. And suddenly you get into a rough patch and then you don't have any trade logs. You're like, dang, maybe I should have logged it on an Excel sheet or maybe I should have logged it on datagame.com. Um, but yeah. I think a lot of what you can learn about yourself is when you lose. Uh, and it might be hard to you know, get that first initial match or first initial, because um, <laughs> I'm related to jiu-jitsu, jiu -jitsu, uh, first initial match or first initial trade logged. Uh, I think it's good for you. I think just being comfortable with losing and being in a safe place to lose is one of the best things you can do in any hobby you start up. It doesn't matter if it's trading. Like if you join a, if you decide to do like, I don't know, archery, for example, right? Like if you're archering with your friends that are always trying to one-up each other, maybe that's not the best place to learn archery, right? Uh, but if you're maybe learning archery in a club where people are just like doing the, going there for being casual, but then there's also really smart people willing to help out and that's the environment that you like where you fail and you're not uh, trying to you know, one-up your friends all the time and you just need a place to learn, maybe that's the place to go, right? You just need to find the home that you find that's good, like right for you or the environment that's right for you to learn. Uh, whether if that's on Wall Street Bets or the other subreddits like Options or the other subreddit Theta Gang or if it's on Twitter or if it's on StockTwits or if it's on ThetaGang.com. Find your home, find where you're learning, find where you can share your losers because sharing your winners is always easy. It doesn't matter if it's on Twitter or Reddit, uh, like sharing winners will always get likes. People like seeing winners. But what people learn from the most, I'd say are the losers. And it's just what platform do you feel that is best to share your losers? And if you th think that maybe thetagang.com is the answer, well, boom, then suddenly losing is not a bad idea, right? Suddenly showing that rolling trades are losing is a good thing because then maybe people can give you tips on how to choose better strikes next time. 
Maybe it's probability profit. Maybe it's taking profit triggers. Maybe it's looking at the VWAP. Maybe it's looking at the RSI, right? <laughs> looking at the EMA, SMA, or any of the oogla boogla indicators. It can be fun. Just get comfortable with losing, be in a safe place to lose, and uh, yeah, it's only up from there. I want to quickly talk about earnings for this week because I don't know how I forgot to mention it, but there's quite a few people reporting this week. We have before open on Tuesday because we are celebrating MLK Day on Monday tomorrow because this is Sunday as I'm recording this. Um, we have Goldman Sachs, Charles Schwab. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's it. That's all I know. <laughs> before open on Tuesday. After close on Tuesday, you have interactive brokers. Did I say international brokers before for IB? But it's interactive brokers um, after close on Tuesday. Before open on Wednesday, you have Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and Procter & Gamble. After close on Wednesday, uh, you have Discover and United Airlines. Before open on Thursday, you have American Airlines. Uh, after close on Thursday, you have Netflix. Uh, and then before open on Friday, you have Ally Savings Bank. And for those that have listened to the podcast or follow me on Twitter long enough, you and I both know why I am laughing because of Ally's, uh, Ally Bank. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think all eyes this week will be on the banks. That includes Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Um, and then looking at Netflix as it's, I think, and I believe is the, uh, the first tech company to report. So it would be interesting to see where subscriber numbers are at. Of course, for Netflix, those are the, always the most important, but also the profit margins, because you know they're doing a lot of licensing of uh, international material, uh, but then also coming up with a lot of original content that is Netflix branded. So it's going to be interesting to see just what they report on. I feel like Netflix has some of the most human readable um, like earnings, right? Like it's not like some oil company talking about margins on natural gases and all the extra stuff. It's it's really just uh, just how much do humans uh, like you list uh, watch Netflix or how much does it cost to make this show or these shows? It's it's very easy to understand, and that's why I like about Netflix. That's why I also like about Snapchat uh, earnings report too. It's like those numbers are super easy to understand because. Most people are people, <laughs> and we can just like easily uh, decipher what those means. Because some earnings reports, like for some really, uh, like, uh, like some industries that you just aren't aware of, like, like credit unions can be like a real doozy to like read into. Because if you don't understand how interest rates work, or uh, just like other rates, because there's more rates than just interest rates, there's tax rates and stuff. Um, it can get really, really crazy. But if it's just like, hey, how, do they have more subscribers than last quarter? Or, you know, how much does it cost to create uh, original content? Or is this new feature out yet? And all that stuff. Then it gets a little bit easier to understand. So Netflix being the first tech company to report for uh, the quarter one is going to be interesting in my eyes. Uh, and then, of course, we have banks early reporting in the week. That includes um, before open on Tuesday and before open on Wednesday. Okay. And because uh, of Thomas's wonderful email just about like, oh, can we get rolling on Theta Gang or can, uh, you know, the profit loss on the rolling trades look artificially bad. Because of that and then my whole spiel about, oh, it's okay to lose, it's okay to have it be red and all that mumbo jumbo. I thought, you know, why don't I kind of like talk about my current profit loss just to kind of own up to the whole like, oh, it's okay to be red, it's a safe place to lose. So... About like every 90 days, each episode gets like 4,000 hits. That's like about my average. Like the most current episode reaches about 4,000 hits um, every three months. Which compared to YouTube uh, or like some Twitch numbers, it's not a lot. There's, there's not a lot of people, but I feel like it's very personal, right? People that listen to the podcast like every week kind of know a lot about me for as much as I know about them. It's a very one-sided thing, right? A lot of people know about my mom. A lot of people know about my relationship with my girlfriend and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's tricky, right? Like I feel bad sometimes when I talk about my stuff and I just thought, you know, why don't I just double down on this and I start talking about how my trades are going this year. This year for 2022, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's been kind of confusing these last few days. Um, these, uh, these past few days have been pretty red, 
right? So I am currently down about $5,000 for the year um, in a 200K account. So I'm trying to calculate what percentage that is. 5,000, 200,000, um, that's correct. And then times 100. So I'm down about 2.5% in my account, which I, I understand to a lot of people, um, they're like, what? That, that, that doesn't even, that's not even red, Junie. I've seen red before on Wall Street Bets. That's not even, that's not even pink, bro. And, and um, it's it's quite different, right? A lot of people think like, oh, you know, th that's not even a lot. But to responsible investors, it can seem like a lot, right? Your perspective of like what is red and what is green really changes as you stop doing Wall Street Bets style trades. Some people are like, wow, I lose $5,000 in like my earnings plays every month and that's barely nothing, Junie. Uh, you losing $5,000 in like a week and a half, that's nothing. I lose that in like one play and I make $10,000 in my other plays. That's why I'm so sick. <laughs> but just just to dial it dial it down a little bit um i'm red for the year so far um it's been roughly two weeks now and i'm currently still just kind of waiting for the uptrend i'm waiting for volume to start coming back um and what i mean by that is you know when you are in a sell-off environment when it feels very very red or when you're in a downward channel when you feel like the stocks are just going down you want to see a bounce right that's obvious you want to see the price starting to go back up but you want to see a lot of people also believing in the bounce you want to see a lot of people also participating in the stock market so you want to see volume to start to go up right now we're currently just seeing that volume is slowly slowing down as we're continuing to uh, drop down it's been a few vo very volatile sessions where sometimes we start up like 0.3 percent but then end down two percent or like vice versa we start down two percent and then actually somehow close green like if this type of market screams like people are just too uncertain and more often than not, it does end with the market going down just a little bit further as things get a little bit less and less volatile. Um, and so a lot of people have been asking me like, okay, Junie, um, you know, a lot of what you pitched like last year and the year before that is just being optimistically bullish. And so what that means is like, hey, as long as you don't bet that the market will crash, you should be okay. Meaning like you don't do any dumb plays where you sell out and sell for a loss immediately. Go like have longer data options. Don't try to time things because what will happen is people start seeing like this volatile action and they start seeing like all these wins on Wall Street bets start popping up, right? Like uh, the market goes up or some stocks go up like 6% in a day. And that's like the day traders dream where if they buy like a thousand contracts of this contract that says, hey, this will be up more than a dollar for today, then suddenly they win like tens of thousands of dollars, right? But what the rest of the world doesn't see are the hundreds of people that try that strategy, don't time it correctly, and then silently blow up. And so what I'm looking for personally right now for my own personal strategy that I've used where I just say like, oh, pick the companies that you love, uh, you know, get in the nice probability profit range of 70 to 80%. That is still pending, right? I feel like I've taken enough risk with the positions that I have currently right now, which facilitate the 5K loss that I was talking about earlier in this section. Um, but I'm not in the mindset right now to double down at the moment. I feel like it's more beneficial for me to wait. I think there is more to gain to wait than there is to just jump in right now and potentially catch the knife. Because yes, I think any time is the right time to buy the dip if you have unlimited money. I think it's amazing if you have unlimited money and there was a day where your favorite company went down 5%, yes, you should buy, but not everybody has infinite amount of money. Like a lot of people have a very fixed amount of money that they are willing to invest and they have it all just ready to go right now. And it would be horrible. It'd be almost tilting, right? If you put in all of what you had left right now thinking this was the bottom and then it kept on dropping. Some might say, Judy, why do you keep saying it might keep dropping? That doesn't sound optimistically bullish at all. It sounds super bearish to me. I don't know why you keep saying you're optimistically bullish when you keep saying that the market will keep going down. You sound so fake. But what I'm really trying to say is you need to just like not be too, <laughs> you need to not be too excited, right? Just like 
you can afford to wait. If you're going to be in the market forever, why not just wait for the uptrend? So you might then say, Junie, idle money loses to inflation. If you don't have your money invested, you'll lose to inflation and you need to just be invested right now. That's why you need to buy the dip with all your money right now. Some people might say you need to invest your money right now, but then they don't they won't be there for you when the stock continues dropping after you bought the dip. Everyone likes the meme of the seven layer dip, but no one's really there for you when that actually happens, right? Your friend says, oh, buy the dip in NVIDIA. NVIDIA only goes up. And NVIDIA keeps on going down, and then suddenly that friend just stays quiet at the lunch table the next time you see him, right? Like you need, you need to watch out for yourself. And if putting you all in to a, on a dip is, um, in, in your own history, a bad thing to do. And when I say in your own history is like, you have to be kind of introspective there. You have to kind of look inside you and say like, oh, have I been like good at holding stocks through big corrections? Like, what did I do during the coronavirus crash? Did I sell out my stocks there? Or uh, did I do fine when the stock market like kind of dipped like a few months ago in September? Like, how was I feeling then? You have to be pretty honest with yourself when you start buying dips during environments like these, where it's very, very volatile. There's a very good chance that it could keep going down. And uh, you can say like, oh, Juni, you say like, as long as you're in the market for a long time, timing doesn't matter. So if I bought the dip right now and just promised to myself that I hold, I should be fine. To that, yes, I agree. But not a lot of people do that. I'd say like a very small sub percentage of people actually hold stock for the rest of their lives. I don't hold my stock for a long time. I get assigned out of my position all the time. I get assigned into new positions all the time. Though I'm more comfortable with holding Nvidia for a longer time than say like a penny stock. But it's just something you have to be super, super honest with you or with yourself with. And if you want to be, um, if you want to be buying the dip, you have to be ready for it to dip more. And that's why I say some of the best things that you can do to protect yourself is have an auto deposit or some sort of plan that you put in an X amount of money per paycheck so that in case of your timing is bad, which humans are so bad at timing, especially like the stock market where people are trying to put logic into a logicless system, right? The stock market is very, very irrational. You hear that all the time. And the best way to protect yourself is that you you have a constant stream of money going in. Some people are probably saying, oh, Judy, you're rich. Uh, you, you have money coming in every month. Or you you, 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 you must you must uh, have parents that are like, have a mansion and stuff. And you, you probably had had nice cars since you were little and all this, which is, none of that is true. Um, I just think putting some of your paycheck into the stock market, or at least into your portfolio, is just a good idea for you to dollar cost average. That's it. I'm not saying that you need to put in $1,000 a month. If you need to put just like $50 a month, that's great. At least that's something. Maybe that's like one share of NVIDIA per month that you're doing for the rest of your life. But if you don't have that, right, and this, is, and this is my last point. If you don't have a set amount of money going to your portfolio every month, you're going to get in this mindset of, okay, this is all I have to invest with ever, and I need to have this amount grow. 10x for me to be okay that is not the right mentality to have when you're in the stock market when you're in the stock market you need to be able to make sure that you understand you're going to be in it for forever so you might as well keep putting money in it especially if you believe that it only goes up because everyone likes that meme but you start putting money into that account and then uh every month or every two weeks basically if you're doing every paycheck your dollar cost averaging your your badly timed positions say for example you just keep on buying stock when it keeps dipping lower and lower and just doesn't seem to stop you're gonna find a cost basis somewhere it's gonna consolidate to some area and you'll be fine especially if you're choosing responsible stocks like that are blue chip and not like penny stocks of course but you know i can't uh, lose my voice going into every single detail of what you know what you shouldn't do but i think a lot of people here that listen to this podcast understand what i'm talking about but yeah, that was a lot. But it, all in all, all you have to really understand is like in environments like this, when we're whipping up and down, if you're trying to buy the dip, assume that it will dip more and just have a plan for that after. It's going to be choppy 
uh, I think all the way up until March and maybe even to April as you know, we figure out just where we're gonna go with these interest rate hikes. Anyone that thinks that they um, know where the market's gonna go is lying because that just shows like by all, by just all the volatility and all the chop that we've been seeing, no one knows where the market's gonna go. Um, so just do your own due diligence, pick stocks that you like, look around in your room for the products that you use and that's usually a good indicator of what stocks that to buy because you obviously chose to spend your money with that company for whatever reason, whether or not that's the new tech uh, shiny gadget or if it's the cheap um, gadget. You know, even picking the cheap thing is a good means to buy the stock because, you know, that stock or that company was able to sell that product for cheaper than the next company, which is the reason why you bought that company, right? There's so many ways to look at different sort of like points like that. And it's just one stepping stone to like making sure you start investing in stocks that you genuinely love. But without going into that topic, because I could talk about that topic forever. Um, I hope I just gave you a little bit more confidence in like saying like, we're just all really, really bad at timing. Just have a plan for after it with dollar cost averaging with like your paycheck or some of your paycheck. Um, and just look out for your own like mental health. Because like stock market could take a huge toll on you, especially if you let it take over your life. But remember, you're more than just a number. You're not you're more than just winning or losing. It, you're still a human. And this stock market stuff is all just supplemental. It's just it aids into your retirement. It's also to make your retirement, but you know, it's also a hobby, right? For me, it's a hobby. It's for fun. As soon as it stops being fun, I'm I'm more than certain I would stop. But right now, it's still fun. I hope you find it fun too, and I hope to see you all next week. Bye. Okay, you can follow me on Twitch at Real Theta Gang. You can follow me on Twitter at Real Theta Gang. You can email me at Juni at ThetaGang.com. Theta Gang is proudly partnered with Tastyworks and signing up with the Theta Gang referral code is a huge help. Um, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, my patrons, which I cannot pull up for for whatever reason. Um, right here. So there's Pocket Change, King Paul D, Mighty Slow Motion, Jay Z, and Malat, Pastor Bedtime, FD Cans, Mods, Merkel, Royal, Mitch Bay, Seven, Upstream Puddle, Craig Thomas, G.J. Wilson, BJ, Kim, Sisku Random, Tom House, Mr. Integrity, Drevy, Deleted, Joffrey, 86, Adam Bell, Wheaton, DJ Mac, 86, Nal, Vlad, TC, Montman, 56, Chavonis, M. Hayden, Lilo, Mr. Sneed, Mel Dundo, Girl, Fighting, Filey, Justin, 51, Maestro, XC, McFly, Seneca, Satoshi, Jason Mohan, Mememe, Chicken Dinner, Ivan Yurkinov, Decentral, Arfman, Scroll Scale Tour, Lazy Reservist, Jester, Chris, Game Boy, El Kaput, Rest Your Shifty, AG, Theta Ray, ULXV, El Finko, 4RT, uh, Dr. Magnum and Ensis88. Thank you all for uh, <laughs> listening this far, and uh, I'll go and see everybody next week. Bye.